0: welcome to the born and raised audio
1: experience presented by onyx All right, last section, guys. Let's dive into some rapid-fire Q&A. So do it. All the first four segments, we tried to you know, combine questions into themes and things like that, but just wanted to take some time to do a, a quick hit list from listeners and dive into stuff.
2: You want quick answers or elaborate answers?
1: We'll start with quick in mind and elaborate as needed. All right. Let's Got do it. it. Cody, you mentioned in the last segment about bumping a bull and it's not over. Uh, one of the questions was, you bump a bull in the timber, what's your next move?
0: Um, I mean, so it's, it's either different. I mean, it all kind of depends on, was that bumped it like just hiking and a bull took off or is this like you'd been calling work in the bull? He bumped and took off. Yeah. Let's say
1: you, you weren't working him, You bumped into him. He took off.
0: Um, so check the wind. Number one, like, all right, wind was good. He must've heard us or saw us and was like, what the heck? Two scenarios playing to my head it was like, all right, let's give him half hour. Like just let him forget about that. Like I, I, I truly feel like elk are not like replaying in their head. They're like evaluating what's happening right now. So if you push the envelope, he's kind of already spooked like his guards up, chances are it might be a little bit more difficult process. So give him that half hour, 45 minutes, let it chill. Um, you know, check the wind again, see you got good wind. And then it's like, what does the approach angle look like? Change the approach angle. Instead of, like, coming from the same place that he thought danger was, you know, let's circle around and get up here on this side of him or, you know, vice versa, trying to go through that route, I think is, is definitely step number two. But I, my gut is give it some time, let it chill down, and then go from there. And the wind was at your back, game over, when you bumped him. Pretty good shot. Yeah. yeah. Like if he wins you, it's, you got to have a lot of things fall into place to, yeah. Not very often, if any, I, I can't think in my head of like, we got winded. One case, we used estrus. And this was actually a pretty good scenario is this bull, we bumped hiking, winded her back. This is Chris and I in Wyoming, 2012. Bull took off. I just happen to have estrus cows, and I just... And it's literally like you can see the mist floating right to him. And I cow called, and all of a sudden you saw that bull, like, smelling and came back in, and Chris got a shot. Didn't kill the bull, but that was, like, one of the only scenarios. If I know if we would not have had that scent, no chance. Yeah. So...
1: So you asked before about are we just hiking and bump into him or were we working him, calling him, and then it yeah. blew up. So what's different in that scenario? Uh,
0: not really. Honestly, if you worked him, got him all fired up, bumped him, he saw movement or just is like mm, not quite sure, the chill out method is probably a higher success rate than immediate pursuit. So chilling him, you know, hey, like, a lot of times, too, they don't go that far. like they may only be a hundred yards, so don't be like, "Oh man, we bumped him and talk and do whatever." like slip out of there, get out, you know if the wind's kind of questionable, get out of that danger zone, slip you know back around a finger ridge or move move out of the way where you know you may be able to converse, you know he's not going to hear you, he's not going to see, he's not going to smell you. Eliminate yourself from the situation for an hour, slip back in there, test him, see where it goes from there. But I I would say, like, the mistake there is making too, you know, like, oh, he bumped, he blew out, talking. Like, sound travels in the woods. Like, voices, if you've ever been and heard other hunters talking or whatever else, like, it travels a long ways. That's like a no no. Mm. So. He did a
2: whole podcast there. I wasn't really sure. Was it the Q&A? That's great. A new podcast? He also worked
1: in a great transition there at the end talking about sound carrying. Because literally the next question on the list was tips for gauging the distance of bugling bulls. I think you mentioned earlier, Trent, that hunters tend to think they're further away than they are when they're hearing bugles. But uh, do you factor in terrain and cover and all those things if you're trying to gauge distance? Or what do you...
2: Totally. And too, especially coming from the coast where we hunt, where we started out our kind of our hunting career here in the really thick kind of rainforest stuff, all that absorbs sounds, the trees, the limbs, the brush, all that absorbs sound. So that's why like when we're here, we'll bugle every oh 100 yards 75 yards 50 yards will bugle because you never know over that one ridge and back in that one little pocket he may not even be able to hear you and there's a good chance you can't hear him so bugling more frequently in order to make that sound carry out around you and in front of you is what we do here um like Rocky mountain stuff. It's a little more open terrain. We'll bugle every hundred, hundred fifty hundred, 150 yards, you know, cause it's, it, you can actually hear down in those pockets and stuff, but topography makes a huge difference. And I would encourage anybody to go out with their hunting partner and have them go out in the woods and just blow a bugle and just be like, okay, how far was that? And you'll be, I, I guarantee you'll be surprised at how you think, wow, I could barely hear that. And I can almost see you, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, if someone's I would say the most relative, I'm going to go down and can't open a can of worms, but their Get experience the is turkey hunting, right? In the spring, like mm-hmm. they hear a gobble. Using their experience based on the judgment of that bird was facing away. Got a big tom behind you. There. Yeah. Uh, you know, that it's all, they could sound further than what they were. And, you know, trying to use your ex- previous experience and, you know, turkey hunting was is a good scenario of like, an understanding, okay, we're on a ridge, he's on a ridge. Like, there's no physical boundary or barrier that would obstruct the sound of that. He may sound c- closer just based on that. Even though, you, you know, if you hear a bugle and it's like, you can't see, but you know, like, he's across this open deal versus you're in the bottom, you know, around a creek or in, in flatter ground. Like, the sound's not going to travel. He's not as far as you may have thought he was, even if he's quiet.
3: One thing that's gotten me in the past is the the ball spins right like one bugles right at you and yep. then he just literally turns 180 degrees. That's and a great, and great bugles again. Yep. You're Like oh he's he's further this time you know but the, and then he run up there and, you know he never left he's Turned he was right met. there 100 yards away the whole time. Yep, yeah. Yeah. that's a great point. It happens a lot too.
2: Yeah. You always think oh he's running away.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we talked about structure of the day and how important the midday is there was a specific question if you had to put a number on it what do you think the percentage of tags you filled have been between like 11 a.m to 3 p.m
2: i would say 76.3 nice
0: percent do you agree might even be higher than that tough like year to year i know i think like in land of the free they're the first one of the 12 or 13 that we killed. I think we only killed like one bull in that realm of that time. So, yeah. it's
2: I would say overall though, yeah.
0: It'd be it'd be higher than 50. Yeah, I would say. It's I feel like it's easier to kill them in that time of day because you're not they're not on the move. They're not all on their feet. It's like generally speaking they're stationary area and then his cows are bedded down he's more apt to leave those cows at that point in time versus when they're all up on their feet and he's open to more threats the satellites and everything else. Like, he's going to stay tighter and do their thing with the cows. Midday, he's more apt to leave those cows. And, too, like, nothing's... I mean, that's when they'll cruise off, go wallow. Like, they'll just... They know where they're at. I'm going to be back. Nothing's in heat right now. Like, I'm going to peel out and go explore. Like so yeah yeah higher odds i mean no yeah. uh
1: question was is it a feasible for an adult onset hunter so an adult with newdale cunning to basically should he consider hunting elk with both archery and or rifle like give himself all those opportunities or should he focus on either weapon for any specific reason
3: uh
2: great question um depends on what state you're hunting i guess i mean if you say you go Wyoming, put all your eggs in the in the bow hunting basket, and it doesn 't work for you and you don 't fill a tag, you should at least have enough knowledge if you want to go back and go rifle hunting. you can you have that option whereas mm-hmm. like oregon you 're pretty much you're choosing your weapon and get efficient at that weapon. I would say okay. like stay and put put your eggs in that basket and be like, "I am efficient with my bow i can shoot and and i think I, I think to to kind of elaborate on that is know your limits you know know where you're at no don't be like i saw on tv a guy made a shot at 120 yards with his bow and just knocked you know just perfect pinwheeled the elk whatever and everything test your limits out to those and to say okay that bull is 60 yards my limit's 50 yards i need to get 10 yards closer you know, don't go, eh, I'm just going to just give it a shot. Be confident in what you're doing and know your own limits and your limitations and don't break your own rules, mm-hmm. is what I would say. And, and then, that goes with a gun, too, big yeah. time.
0: The challenge that I see for an onset is you start doubling, because it is two different tactics, two different, yeah.
1: like... Mm-hmm. Equipment, costs, it, time, co- Yeah, practice. I mean,
0: but yeah. but also, like, the approach side of it is totally different from generally when rifle season is and what those elk are doing, and where they live. And if you go apply the archery tactics in rifle season, most you're not, you're going to struggle there. So then even more doubts going to creep in is like, what am I doing as an elk hunter where, you know, if, if you're sticking to archery or sticking to rifle, you have somewhat of some common denominators there that you can, you know, evaluate yourself on.
2: That being said too, I don't want to make a podcast out of this, but you know, Say you are an uh, uh, archery elk hunter and you've learned elk and, and been around them and had really good opportunities, you just didn't get it done. When you see them in rifle season, you feel pretty invincible. <laughs> Not gonna lie to you, like, that guy's gonna die.
3: <laughs> this is gonna be pretty simple. And there's no question bow hunting makes you a better hunter. 100%. Right? Yeah. Yes, 100%. Way easier to transition from bow to rifle than rifle to bow. Like, you I would like, agree. learn a lot of bad habits rifle hunting. Yeah. You can get away with so much more. Absolutely.
1: Okay. Uh, this kind of relates to the first topic we talked about of how do you know you're on the right path as an elk hunter in the first section, but this guy wrote in and said, we all know you can hunt for weeks and not find what you were looking for. How do you maintain ambition and a good attitude to keep pushing towards your goal when things aren't going your way?
2: Man, he just hit it on the head right there. Positive attitude. Uh, and what we talked about in the first two is just like move. If you're not finding elk, then move. You need to move. There's so much. So many places, especially in like a unit that you draw or say it's Wyoming general or whatever the tag may be, there is, or Colorado over the counter, there is a ton of land to hunt public in Colorado. So always have at least three or four spots where if you haven't seen them in two, three days and you haven't heard a bugle, you haven't seen an elk, you haven't seen sign move. You gotta be mobile. And, and that's where it can really start playing in your head. Am I making the right choice? Am I not making the right choice? It's it's definitely a mind game at that point. But if you're not on elk, what's the worst that can happen? You'd be not on elk in a different place, you know?
1: It's a good way to look at it.
2: I mean, it's, <laughs> you, you gotta, you've got to find them to kill them. I do know that.
1: Yeah. Cody, the most important piece of topography you look for in
0: e-scouting? Mm. Benches. I mean, that, it seems like nine times out of 10, those elk have, a, you know, that habitat is going to be around the bench side of life. They're going to feed there, breed there, bed there. You know, if there's not, you know, if it is in steeper rolling country or whatever, like those flat places, you know, they like. So, um, yeah, North Face Bench, I would say is a Yeah. pretty good telltale sign. Yeah
2: i would say a lake with fish in it <laughs> i like to fish while i'm hunting i always carry a rod so it's kind of fun to go fishing and add to the whole hunting side of things
3: one one thing that's changed for me hunting and that was through hunting with you guys is e-scouting mac like looking at the macro picture of the country and is this huntable right like prior when i first started backpacking it was like all right i'm gonna hike six seven miles back into this big basin and hunt this basin and and really realize how much you're pigeonholing yourself and, and you gotta hunt it slower. And you mean into one spot? Yeah, basically it's like all cliffed out all around it. It's gotcha. like you're stuck there. Like scouting and finding country like Summit where we can do A to B with rigs and just be more efficient with our time because it's it's all huntable and you can actually cover the country to find the elk versus dedicating all this time to going into a single basin that may or may not have elk in it, right? You, and then taking you can, the you same can't path be as out. Mobile, right, yeah, on the same yeah. path out. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good yeah. point. Yeah.
1: Trent is the official products guy. You talked about the meat bags earlier. Big on product. Literally had a question come through, though. What are the benefits to your meat bags, and how will the zipper hold up?
2: Oh, zipper, uh, we've never had an issue with it yet. We've done... We've, we've tried we've, to make them fail. We've, so. we've put them through the test. That is for darn sure. Two, two years. And the advantages of them are they're lighter weight. They're... Um, easily walk you buy a set and you're gonna have a set it's just like anything else you don't buy a set just for one season you're gonna use those for seasons on end if you take care of them it's just like anything else right, right. and um yeah we've put them through the ringer they're yes. awesome especially awesome for the solo guy that's going in anywhere to make it so much easier for meat care and the biggest thing is um, that, we, that we find as far as like when you're doing a solo thing is dirt and grime and keeping your meat as clean as possible. And this, I mean, it is, it solves all those problems.
1: Yeah. Cody, we talked earlier about being selfless when we were talking about group tactics and things like that. And this question always comes up and came up this time again of essentially, how do you find a good hunting partner? But I would also mm. add to that, like if you're considering going on a hunt with a buddy, how do you even assess if that's going to be a good fit? Right.
0: Ooh, man. I would say, I mean, it's the truth is the truth maker is the mountain. Like they're either going to be made better or broken on the mountain. I don't think there's really much in between like, um, and I don't, it's really tough ahead of time to know that. So it, I think the one thing is going into the mindset Like this is, you know, having positive, like this is going to be a good relationship. We all have, you know, meeting ahead of time, common goals, common understanding of what things are going to go. And then you come out of that trip and it's like, man, that didn't go as what I thought it was. Maybe he's not the best hunting partner that, you know, in the breakup phase of it, you know, and I feel, um, we outside of our dynamic for so many years, never hunted, didn't hunt with anybody outside of our circle so to us it was like we kind of assumed that everyone had that until we hunted with different groups and saw different dynamics and some of these different uh characteristics of personalities and just overall thought process and all that and that it kind of made us feel like we've got something pretty special here that we didn't we kind of took for granted per se so i think you know is is setting the ground rules ahead of time having Expectations discussed, nothing like in the dark, and you know communicate communications key on that side of it, and if there's an issue at the moment, address the issue head on versus let it fester all of a sudden I mean, I've had blow ups in the back country, and if it wasn't for the bonds of cody could- <laughs> <laughs> you know, but like if it wasn't for the bonds that we had been through prior to. And if we didn't address that situation at the time, probably things would have been worse down the road, you know, but it, it happened and we talked through it and yeah. And it's not easy. I mean, it's not the extent of a marriage, but you've got, it's a, it's a partnership in that period of time. So
2: I just say, yeah, like Cody said, establish ground rules before you even go. That's the easiest way. That way, when something comes up, say, Hey, we've already talked about this. I'm shooter for this today or whatever, or I don't know, whatever the scenario may be. I mean, establish ground rules. That way you're gonna have something to go back on. Because like Cody said, the mountain determines everything. And when you get up there, you're exhausted, you're tired. Your buddy's hiking faster than you. You're already getting animosity for him because he's beating you in the ground. And then after a while you're like, now he's doing it on purpose. So I'm, I'm even more Steve. tired. Talking to Steve's an ass. Steve's real ass. Yeah. Yeah. I need to put more stuff on my pack. Hold on a second. Here, you know? But no, it just if you establish ground rules before you ever even get in that
0: scenario. It's just just like anything else it can definitely help you out at the time yeah. and I think you know you talked about finding one between social media and the internet like you may not it may not be a guy from your local town but all of a sudden you strike up a conversation and you know you know, I've I've heard plenty of stories, like literally through Instagram, like oh, Elsmingle.com, I think. Yeah, exactly. Friend. Friend, yeah Huntingfriends dot com or hunt, HuntingPartners hunting Yeah, I mean Is that a real thing? I don't know. I'm not, yeah. you know. I mean there was actually a so talk about know. that. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's not a bad idea. Yes, we should do an app on that. Like <laughs> basically Find hunting partners. (laughs) You guys guys could brand it, call
1: it like find your bro or something.
2: Yeah. (laughs) With like Uh, safe words and stuff? (laughs) (laughs) What are we we talking about here? Wow. We're recording. Uh, Yeah, we're recording. Uh, Next question. Next question.
1: (laughs) Are you guys hunting New Mexico this year?
2: Negative. No plans. No.
1: I'll add my own follow-up to that. What were your impressions of hunting New Mexico recently? Oh, it was awesome. It was a total different land. There's cactus. There's
2: there's tarantula we saw. There's it's it's a whole different thing. And then you've got the drier climate. Um, so where there where we were starting to actually focus there on where we don't have to like in Wyoming, Colorado, or anything is water. So they have water holes and water troughs that they use and stuff. And so you kind of start to base your hunt a little bit differently. And when you're mapping things out, kind of gear towards some, some type of water or something of that nature. So a little bit different, same kind of techniques, same kind of tactics that we use normally as far as calling and bugling and stuff like that. But just maybe changing it up where you're hunting just a little bit. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: Advice for someone who has a Wyoming general tag and that's never hunted Wyoming before.
2: Mm. You want to go for this or you want me to take this one, Rod?
0: Oh, I mean, you've got more Wyoming experience than I. I mean, my, my quick little assessment is have multiple areas, units, locations, kind of. Yes. Between fires and hunting pressure, things may not go as to what you, so don't lock in on like, this is where I'm going and this is where I'm staying. Wyoming, I will say like I've had the
2: best luck with less people. As far as Colorado, you're going to go and see a lot of people. I have not really had that happen in Wyoming to where there's enough ground around that you can almost be be um, in solitude for a few days in a row, you know, where you don't see anybody. And so I think that helps a lot with, like, fresh animals, you know, that haven't been screwed with a lot and everything. Um, yeah. Like Cody said, just get a few places, find some good stuff with big timber patches that you can get a mile to four miles off the road. If you have to, if you don't, if you can't do that, a mile and a half, you can kill elk. At, at, I mean, you don't have to be super way back in the back country to kill elk. And I think that's a giant kind of misconception for people, as far as especially with a back country podcast. No offense, but you don't have to be that far all the time. You can be right by the road. You could be in little pockets like you mentioned New Mexico a little bit ago, we were hunting a main highway that these elk were crossing every single night back and forth. I mean, we would go and we'd park on a guardrail on a giant uh, two to three to four lane road. And we would hunt just right off the side of that. So it was just, that's what those elk were doing. And that's where we, that's where we found them. So don't have to always go, but if you have the ability to go a long distance and everything, you'll be rewarded. It's there's something to be said about, killing something and achieving a goal way back in and having a plan right you, you, guys, you guys all guys heard this, this right
0: that just came out of Trent's mouth it did he was, just, <laughs> he was trying to redeem himself uh, from minutes, 20 seconds in <laughs> not that I'm gonna do it I'm just saying if you've got that goal
2: have fun with that you know have fun with that no, no. I'm still willing to go I just You're just complain the whole time just have to complain you know <laughs> it's like Steve what are we doing anyway Good question. Have
1: you ever figured out Steve's math on mileage yet? No, no. I I haven't.
2: I mean. How far is that? 300 yards. It was like 2.3
0: miles.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That is crap. The last time you should just yank the phone out of his hand and be like, you're done. You can't (laughs) can't do this. I
1: don't even think I told you this, Steve. I was hiking with the family like a month ago and uh, we were down in Arkansas exploring and they asked how long this hike was. And I was like, I think it's two miles. And they're like, round trip or just to get there? And I was like, round trip. And my daughter goes, is that two actual miles or two Uncle Steve miles? <laughs> she <laughs> means it was going to be a six-mile hike before, is yeah. what she, that means. She's
3: hiked with Steve. That before. did happen. Goodness gracious.
1: So we talked before about being quiet and making noise. There was a question about that. And we talked about you know, not being afraid to make noise. Sometimes it's an advantage, especially the bigger group, et cetera. But a sub-question to that was, are there times when you purposely try to remain silent in the elk woods?
2: Yeah. And like Cody said uh, earlier on one of the first questions, I think, when he did his podcast, he um, he was talking as far as like, this if you a podcast, do... This is podcast,
1: by the way. It's
2: a... Right, right. <laughs> his individual podcast. <laughs> no, if you if you do spook an elk, there's no sense in educating them more, right? Which would be, oh, he's gone. Hey, guys, come on up. Come on up. You know, yelling or you know whatever that may be. And I, I honestly think we didn't touch on it too much before, but you can educate elk a lot more than you think so whether that may be going down a ridge and instead of bugling off the landing right where everybody does walk down that ridge 200 yards or something get on one side bugle down in there get on the next side or something like that these different places where elk aren't going to expect you from it's a lot of times we'll just just that one tiny little thing that'll pipe them off to where they'll give away their location
0: (laughs) and just silence on the setup approach of the shooter Like, yes, they, those elk will pinpoint wherever that sound was from. So I've seen it time and time again. If like you called there or broke a branch or whatever else, like they came in looking, that's the spot they're going for. That's the destination. They see an elk there Um, going in ninja mode, slip in there to where you're going to get set up, you know, and before you say anything. Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm. Yep. Because that element of surprise will sometimes spark them up, too. Like, what? There's an elk right there? Okay. I need to address
1: that. Yeah. Tips for packing out a bull most
3: efficiently? Get a horse. <laughs> 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 is that not the most efficient way? I mean, it's...
1: Yeah, we uh, talked about yeah, it, right? Yeah. Have the outfitter. Who no, this can help is a good thing. Out.
2: Grab your EXO 4800 <laughs> groceries. Okay? <laughs> um, No, it's have a bunch of partners yeah we've had the we've had the uh, luxury of hunting like five deep so we kill an elk and it's just like all right everybody take a piece and put it in your pack and go and and we can get it out in one trip where it's like a lot of the emails that i answer and stuff it's hey me and my buddy are going to wyoming we're planning on packing in eight miles what do you recommend for how long can meat last you know and stuff like that but it's We've we've been pretty blessed with a lot of people in our group to where it's
0: yeah so shot wonder usually. Mm. Couple things here come to mind too on like the efficiency side of it, right? Well, bones do weigh do weigh poundage. So So does the head. So does the head. Um, But I feel like you have better quality meat overall when it's said and done if you can keep it on the bone. Hundred percent. Like boned out meat versus bone meat, how it hangs, how it dries. You lose. You have more loss on. So it's kind of like the trade off, right, like depending on how far you' in, it's like once we start breaking the three four mile boundary, it's like, all right, we're gonna bone it out, but if we're gonna be in there for a while, I'm gonna hang that meat on the bone originally like i don't if we don't have to bone it, let's not until the time of packing out. um it'll help with the blood drainage and all that, like overall, you're gonna have better quality, and then this is kind of we talked earlier, it's like, do we go? In and out one long, you know, to trip it, or do we leapfrog it? There's a little bit more time involved with unloading meat, loading meat, and all that. But I would say, effectively, that leapfrog method works pretty good. Yeah, I'm a huge fan
3: of if you've got a climb, at least get all the meat to the top of the climb, and then and then you're downhill to your truck, right? Like you got the most energy. You're gonna be like you do that one trip all the way out, by the time you come back, I have to do that second climb up with the meat. Get the whole thing to the peak. Yeah, get the whole thing to the summit, and then do the downhill. However you want. Yeah. Gotcha. Shoot smaller
1: elk too. I mean, get, a yeah. get a horse. Get a
2: horse. Satellite phones aren't that much to rent.
3: Spike tastes really good though. <laughs> Spike and do tastes really good. Out. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Those are more efficient. I'm just saying. It's way more efficient. I mean, you asked the question. Yeah. If you're hunting open breaks country, would you still use a cat road shuffle strategy or would you consider spot and stalk?
2: Mm. It's a great question. So we hunted um, with the Hushin guys in Idaho and it was super open. It was like little scrub trees. It almost reminded me of looking at videos of like New Mexico, you know, where you have those juniper bushes kind of things. There was no trees. There was none of that. And it was wide open. We stuck with the same with the same strategy the whole time and um ended up we every single person shot at an elk within that 10 day period and so it did work um that being said like super like wide open stuff we're probably going to condense that down into where they're going to bed is probably going to be a little bit more you know um thicker I would say or, or have more scrub oats and stuff so we still will call so yeah I don't, I don't think we've ever really like abandoned our strategy ever just to try something I mean yeah we've maybe tried something new where when Steve shot his bull in Arizona Cody and Trevor were back like 250 yards bugling because the bull all he would do is stay in the one spot and bugle and rake and Steve and I slipped in and shot him so that was the same or different technique, but kind of the same
0: kind of a deal as far as using the calls and stuff Yeah, like we, we definitely used binoculars, just and scopes. Like, yeah. hey, there's elk. It was okay, really cool, cool, too. Like, we have eyes on them. All right, now let's go call them in yeah. versus trying to slip in there. Like, don't be afraid just because it is open and you did glass and first that you can't call them in and that stuff. But, yeah, using both, I would say. Get a vantage point and understand where elk are. Like that's how you're going to take a bunch of the leg work off. Just trying to find them. Like I found them. Now let's go call them and kill them.
2: And that was super fun. Like in Arizona, where we could phone scope them. <laughs> yeah. And see the, you know, see the elk. Because nine times out of ten, it's your first sight is down your sight of your, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty cool to be able to see them first. Yeah.
1: What is your current arrow and broadhead setup, and how many arrows do you? Set up prior to September.
0: There's a Cody question right there. <laughs> uh, so I've got Easton FMJ 300 spine. Match grade 001s. Um, aluminum insert um, with a 125. This I've been, last two years now I used Cayuga. Uh, two blade single bevel with a bleeder. This is the, the ever, it's about like a 550, 565 can't remember exactly what my grains are um and i you know prior to september i love to have a dozen broadheads you know and i shoot usually like two into a target those are you know so i got a solid 10 arrows left Mm -hmm. and i use a seven arrow quiver that tight spot seven arrow and i have one arrow as a judo point so i have six broadheads on and a judo point when i'm going in somewhere yeah so
1: true My bow
0: was greening? No, no.
2: Uh, I I think my setup was like, I don't know, was it 560 or something like that? Grains or something?
0: I think you are a little less. Yeah. Maybe
2: a little less. Yeah. Yeah. I use 340s FMJs and I was shooting, I've been shooting the Strickland rodhead. So it's that the Helix, you know, I think? Yeah. 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 And it's the single bevel to have good luck with
0: uh shuttle tees backward shuttle tees were awesome um had yeah we've used all exodus. sorts of decks. exodus i would say in like a three blades really strong one you actually shot bones last year or
2: bone broadheads yeah. yep single mm-hmm. bevel but we get that i bet that's our most asked question a lot of times is what broadhead what broadhead what did you guys do a
1: big broadhead test
2: yeah. we did yeah, yeah. yeah. we yeah.
0: kind of tested it all we had mechanical category fixed blade category and then uh you know, uh, single, single bevel. Mm-hmm. So there's so. definitely, I mean, some really good ones out there. Um, we've killed elk with solid, uh, back in the day. And then, um, iron will, I would say like mm-hmm. out of the test, iron will was one hand. of the strongest ones out there, um, for accuracy, sharpness and the whole durability, everything it's about Oregon still. Uh, is it fixed plate or is it mechanical you can shoot mechanical you can now and you guys still
3: shoot fixed yeah 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 Yeah. i'm not
0: i'm not a big mechanical fan like fan yeah of what i've experienced and or heard like definitely a higher failure rate with the mechanical i mean elk are big they got big bones big ribs you know they there's just i would say something that's more durable it's gonna hold up is you know, accuracy is one and durability two, sharpness for sure. Like yeah.
1: have you guys hunted in Grizzly Country and how did you prepare?
0: Yeah. The first help. year no. <laughs> <laughs> first year we were super naive about it. Like yeah. literally yeah. like, oh going to bear country, ha ha and then we saw a track and it was like, oh man. Like that's, that's giant. That's, <laughs> like I got a size 14 boot and the back foot was way bigger than my foot and boot track. And so, um, since then pack firearms and I've pack, I've done both, um, firearm on a bino harness, I think is the best method versus firearm on a pack. Like it's always there. It's
2: practice with it,
0: practice supplying yeah.
2: it, practice doing all that stuff.
0: Um, and then Run faster than Trent. It's hard. Usually <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. it I mean, another advantage of hunting in a group, right? Yeah, I yeah.
0: usually have
2: things dangling too that they can grab onto. <laughs> usually off the back of my back. Oh man. No, we are coming out with a backcountry pistol, two of them actually, with through Sig Sauer. And um, Is that so you can like you buy both? Is it a if set? If you want, two wheel yeah, wheel of them? yeah. If yeah. you want, you can do both at the same time. And, I like um, it. Anyway, but. Still some de- details yet to come, but uh, get ready for something like that. 10 millimeters in the works, so.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, uh, but Cats I think, out of the bag. Of no, F- firearm is, I feel more comfortable with it than spray. I
3: like to make loud noises. Yeah. yeah. 10 mm I'm supposed to be the best, too. Yeah,
0: yeah no, that's from
3: American
2: all the, everything that we've talked to and everybody that's actually, you know, been around in Bear Country, they say 10 millimeters is where it's at. Yeah. It's a big piece of projectile
0: it's unnerving like bear country i hunted it last year in montana with my buddy johnny but we were on horses and like so the camp we were in a we had a it wasn't in my like little small shelter we had a, a seek outside that courthouse tent so it was a like looked like a wall tent but it was synthetic material with a stove so we had food in the tent and all that but we had horses there um and uh in that case like johnny's like the horses are going to warn you about a bear and that type of terrain and most his encounters have not really been in camp it's been dealing with shot elk you know like yeah like that's where his his issues have come in it's like after you killed one um (laughs) stuff so yeah and it was fun like he had been around a lot of bears so my confidence level was higher Mm -hmm. in that case like he's had the bear experience he's had charges bluff stuff so like he allowed the charge on that one, but yeah, not literally. But. Trent, how do you
1: scout differently for Rosie's than Rockies?
0: We've never scouted an elk in our lives. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's not really a joke either. We've, uh, we've never hardly, we've never actually like went and said, we're going to target this bull ever ever we've always just it's uh nine times out of ten it's finding where they live so finding the terrain uh topography that elk live in and in a roosevelt situation it's honestly 90 percent of the hardest part is finding them and then they're they're in such and they don't travel too awful far to where you can hunt them after that Whereas like a rocky, it's just covering ground until you find them, right? And then once you find them, usually you find multiples and stuff. So, yeah, it's a little bit different approach just because of the what they live in like you spook a rocky and it seems like they'll go over six ridges you spook a roosevelt and it'll go over three or four uh two or three hundred yards and then stop and slow down and and so you can a lot of times and we've actually killed elk that we've bumped a few different times that you know we've bumped them off and then we kind of know where they're gonna kind of go and then go and, and and hunt them later that day or later the next day
1: yeah i like it love it what is the biggest failure you've made that has taught you the most?
2: I didn't pack my bow one time and there was like a three seventy seven seven by seven bugling at like 37 yards. Actually, I think it came close 22, to like
0: 22, 22 yards.
2: 23 yards for like seven minutes oh God. that if I had that time back now, I think I would have done things differently.
3: <laughs> like brought a weapon. <laughs>
2: maybe
3: so brought a just, bow. you were just calling that day yeah i was just okay.
2: calling Till for man. cody yeah. remember we talked earlier about established rules okay cameraman he is not a hunter he doesn't carry a call doesn't carry binoculars doesn't carry a bow that day i wish i would have really carried a bow because we we're standing over cody's 367 inch bull elk and that bull with the same of the same caliber comes just from nowhere screaming bugling as we are cutting it up and stays there for like seven minutes and just kind of circles around. And us. I'm
0: left-handed 32 inch Learn how to shoot didn't honey, work. Honey partner's both, Or, or yeah. There you go. That's been yeah. a good takeaway.
2: Yeah. So anyway, that was, a, that was a moment that if we could take back, it would have been, been taken back.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then I would say lesson learned for us is like, don't be afraid to move spots. I think, you know, getting, we seem to come back to that all the time. Yeah, we do. I think that's the, um, you know, the fear of failure and the unknown in the end is going to yield greater returns versus hunting that same safe, safe play. Yeah. Yeah. So don't be afraid to move and go explore. It's like, you never know when that next leaf you're going to flip over is the honey hole, you know, that you're going to want to go back to. Yeah
1: to wrap up with this one what is besides this isn't in the question i'm putting this in the question besides born and raised and youtube and like kind of the media aspect of things strictly just talking about hunting like what's changed the most for you guys in the last 10 years wow
2: what has changed the most for us in the last 10 years cody i'm like i'll I'll
0: let you stab first (laughs) (laughs) outside of the media oh, yeah yeah of the like stuff.
1: um so just talking about hunting right like is it a different tactic different mindset
0: well i mean in the last four years on the biggest thing is like we hunted with different people hmm. we, we have hunted with the different people that's the biggest thing that changed versus the four of us and our tight-knit deal um and you know it's i think it's been great, and then it's also been a challenge, like you know, a challenge adapting to other people's styles or thought process or whatever. To where it's not like when the four of us are together, it's just like click, boom, everything falls into place. We know what each person's going to do, and bef- I mean, literally without even talking to each other, or even making eye contact. Like, you know, we go into that. So hunting with different people has been the change. Um, yeah.
2: I guess I would say just about the same thing, but in a, in a not in a negative at all. Um, being able to actually go different places and just see different things and do different things that we I never thought I would ever be able to do, you know. To like Cody's going to Alaska with you guys this year, and hopefully I can get in on that, but probably not. But I'm sure it'll be sooner than later. Um, getting in back into rifle hunting. I, I really enjoy rifle hunting and I've, I've actually really kind of, cause all we did for a longest time was archery bow hunt. And I'm not saying I got burned out on it, but it's just the rifle thing really has like taken on a new whole new meaning of uh, that. We talked about earlier. It's like, getting into a whole different realm of something and actually kind of trying to dial that in and and be really efficient and, and be successful at that every single year. And so it's, it's just kind of opened new doors, I guess, as far as that goes. And it's just been super exciting seeing what door is going to be next yeah. would be mine, I guess. Yeah.